The reading today is from Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. John, the baptizer, appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. May the Holy Spirit bless our understanding of his word today. It is Baptism Sunday. That is the day we celebrate the baptism of Jesus in the Scriptures, uh, which is pretty much covered in all the Gospels. Today we take our story from Mark. And I I can tell you this, that uh, over the centuries, over the millennia, in fact, the baptism of Jesus has posed some theological conundrums for uh, folks in the biz, uh, in the theological biz, right? From Athanasius to Karl Barth, uh, they've all wondered about the baptism of Jesus. And here's, here's the, biggest, the two biggest issues that seem to pop up with that. One is, is that if John is out in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance, a baptism of re- repenting of your sins and being cleansed of your sins and going forth and sinning no more, what was Jesus doing there? Right? Because, uh, you know, Jesus, did Jesus fall prey to sinfulness and need to be cleansed before Jesus could go out and do the ministry that God had in store for him? I can tell you right now, I'll bet most of you are uncomfortable with that idea. Right? <laughs> because we have come to think of Jesus as being without sin. So you can see the conundrum it poses for folks. Particularly in Mark, you know, the other... The other uh, Gospels tend to downplay this particular thing, but in Mark, the first appearance we see of Jesus, there is no birth narrative in Mark. There is no, there is no Mary being visited by angels and Joseph escaping into Egypt. There's no shepherds. There's no wise men. That's Luke and Matthew. In Mark, this is the first time we see Jesus is here at his baptism. And so it almost appears as though uh, Jesus comes and participates with John. Of course, John acknowledges that one is coming after me who is stronger than I, uh, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And what we, what we experience here is Jesus coming and participating with John in his baptism of repentance and then receiving this um, this message from on high, this is my son, the beloved, in whom 
I am well pleased. Which poses the next conundrum. Now wait a minute. Was Jesus adopted at this moment? Did God adopt Jesus at this moment? And it was only then when Jesus was imbued with God's Holy Spirit and given sonship and given the task of being God's revelation in the world and the declarer of the kingdom of God? Or was that part and parcel with who Jesus was from the very beginning? Here again, in Matthew and Luke, we have this whole birth story that seems to suggest that Jesus was uh, kind of preordained to be God's revelation in the world, that the fullness of God was, was being revealed in Jesus from birth on. Yet in Mark, again, there is no such story. There is no birth narrative. And so this, is, uh, this has given rise to a group of people who call who call themselves uh, adoptionites, <laughs> right? We always got to label these things, right? Uh, folks who, who think that this is a moment when Jesus was adopted uh, into his Messiahship. Uh, and it has posed, again, uh, there's others who have said, no, wait a minute, this was, Jesus is God's revelation from, from birth on through death and resurrection that uh, Mark has another agenda. Quite frankly, this is just an interesting conundrum. I don't know that it really matters at the end of the day, does it? Because uh, for us, Jesus is Messiah. For us, Jesus is Savior. But it does matter what what the Gospels are trying to convey. And perhaps Mark is uh, trying to convey this thing. But there's other things going on in Mark that I think are are probably even more significant. One is that the first thing Mark wants us to know is who God is, who Jesus is, rather, in God, right from the beginning. The first thing that we are told about Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus is the beloved Son of God. And as He hangs on the cross, the centurion who's in charge of making sure Jesus dies looks to Him and says, Surely, this man was the Son of God. And it was only in that moment, it was only at Jesus' death and resurrection when everyone else around seemed to catch on to who Jesus really is. From this moment when the Holy Spirit declared who Jesus was, the disciples seemed bumfuzzled about it. Clear through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, they're not sure. Maybe he's John. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's some other uh, prophet. Maybe he. Maybe we don't know who he is. Maybe he's a blasphemer. Uh, they're, they're they're confused. They're lost. Their uh, their their discipleship fails up until the moment of the resurrection when it all becomes clear and evident to them. And but Mark wants us to know that he is the Son of God. And the only other ones in Mark's Gospel who knows that are people who are demon-possessed. Uh, the demons seem to know. Everyone else seems a little confused. But then that, So uh, here, at any rate, Mark clearly intends to start Jesus' ministry here. Uh, and, and if Jesus is not buying into 
the whole idea of repentance as he goes into the baptismal waters, we're left to wonder, well then what is Jesus' baptism really about? And I think as we explore that, I think we need to kind of look toward uh, look at this character John, who is really the first person brought up in the Gospel of Mark. Mark makes a big deal out of John being the one who cries in the wilderness, who is preparing the way. Remember, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So uh, here is Mark, uh, or here is John, out in the wilderness, and he dresses in this kooky outfit that that immediately anyone who is reading this who is a good church-going Jew from the day would recognize that this is Elijah. That John is dressed to give us the, exa- give us the impression that he is Elijah out in the desert. He, and eating these weird honey and locusts, and I won't even get into all that, but it's clear, to, uh, it's clear that John is, is representing this notion of Elijah declaring the things of God to God's people. And in that same way, John, who, who lives out by the Jordan, who is on the cusp of, of the, the, the people in Jerusalem and the people left out in the margins, out in the wilderness, here is where John proclaims his message of the kingdom of God is drawing near and it is time to repent and it was a message filled with a lot of uh, expectation about the day of judgment in fact John seems to be saying the day of judgment is near we've heard all that we've heard this in our own time haven't we the day of judgment is near. we've heard this prophet before the day of judgment is near uh, get your affairs in order uh, and as John stands in the wilderness and cries out in this message, he gets the attention of Jesus who comes and is baptized. And after, in Mark, after Jesus goes out in the wilderness and begins his ministry, Mark tells us that John is arrested. And Jesus, this is what Mark says, begins to declare that the kingdom of God is near and begins to preach a message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus, after this baptism, takes up the ministry of John and goes forward with it. Yet it's not the same thing, is it? It's not the same message It's not the same messenger and it's not the same message that is coming to us through Jesus. And in fact, the words that we are given of John seem to say we should have expected this. John says, there's one who's coming after me who will take this thing in a whole different direction. And that's okay. But even John starts to get a little uncomfortable. If you read the book of John, the Gospel of John, John sends messengers, after he gets arrested, sends messengers back asking, are you the one we were waiting for or should we be expecting someone else? Clearly, John doesn't see what he was expecting. Right? Uh, Should we be waiting for someone else? And Jesus tells him, hey, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk again, what else do you want? (laughs) Go tell him that. See what he says to that. 
But it seems to be that at this moment we see, we see the evolution of God at work in the world. We see John who, uh, like Elijah, declares to God's people it's time to turn around and move in a different direction. But he doesn't do it in the temple. He does it person by person in the baptismal waters expecting the day of judgment to come. And when John says that, I imagine what he had in his mind was what everyone else had in their mind about what that Messiah would look like. Especially if he, like the other, a lot of people think John might have been an Essene, which is kind of an ascetic, priestly sect that quartered themselves off from the rest of the world because they were expecting the day of judgment to come in any moment now. And they were expecting, a Messiah. in fact, they were expecting two Messiahs. They were expecting a priestly Messiah and a political Messiah, someone who would be a king who would come in on a white horse with a sword and he'd have an army after them and then they would revamp, they'd redo the temple and they'd reinstate uh, the kingdom of David. You've heard all this before, right? This was, this was the common expectation. And I suspect that John, when he handed things off to Jesus, that's what he thought was going to happen. But it didn't. Jesus took it in a whole different direction. Jesus transformed the ministry into one that says, if you want to, if you want to be the greatest, you must be the servant of all. Uh, if you want to be blessed, you're going to be meek. And blessed are the poor, for theirs is the king. They will inherit the kingdom of God. And you've got to be a little child. If you really want to come to the kingdom, you've got to be a little child and childlike. And this Messiah will suffer and die and be ridiculed and will be killed by the world. I know that's not the Messiah you were looking for, but that's, this, that's the Messiah you got. And only through dying to our old life and being resurrected into new life will we experience the kingdom of God. And that's the message that he brought. Yet it was something very anathema to what John was hoping for, probably. And you know what? This is, it's, it, it's a good example of the way faith kind of works. You know, we go into this thing with pictures and expectations and hopes and and ideas of what it's all about and then the moment we hand it over to jesus right the moment we we let go the moment we say you know what this is not my faith lord it's yours this is not my ministry god it's yours i'm going to hand it over to you and let you take it wherever it's going to go now that's that's not easy to do that's not easy to do. Preachers understand that, right? Poor Pastor Ellis, he probably sits there. He handed this ministry off to me uh, a long time ago, and many other preachers. <laughs> and he probably sits there and thinks, what the hell is he doing all the time? 
what is wrong with that boy? <laughs> you know, and he, he's very generous. He's very gracious. But I, he's got to be thinking, what are you thinking, boy? What is wrong with you? Uh, and maybe things don't go the way he had hoped or prayed. But when you hand things off, you kind of got to let them go. John had to let him go. And he wondered as he sat in jail waiting to be executed, is this really what God wanted? Or have I missed the picture somewhere? And yet at the end of the day, what God was doing was something remarkable and new and exciting and transformative, not just to the Hebrew people, but to the entire world. Amen. Not just to a few, but to all. And it was the explosion of God's love that John was really hoping for, and the way he expected it to happen isn't how it happened, but it happened. God's love exploded. Amen? And we are the beneficiaries of that explosion as it still resonates through the millennia and the waves of it hit us over and over again. Amen. And it was everything John and everyone else was praying for, but they hardly recognized it when it came. And our faith is just like that. We, we, you know, the more we hang on to it, the less we see. And it was that way with the disciples. As we go through Mark, and we'll be talking about Mark a lot, you'll see that the disciples struggled to see where Jesus was going with all of this. And it was only when Jesus ascended the cross and it seemed like all was lost. It was only when they finally said, I guess that's it. And they let it go. It was only on Easter morning when it all made sense. In our own faith journey as we come into it with all kinds of expectations as we come into it with all kinds of hope when we come into it knowing in our heart of hearts this is what i'm looking for and some of us even shop around right for for a good community that does that this church you know this church does it for me this is the one that that uh you know really talks about the things i think are important in in faith but the minute we say, you know what, it does, I don't care what church uh, is comfortable, I'm going to go to the one that you point me to, God. I'm going to let you pick my church. And the minute we do that and we let Jesus take over, all of a sudden it goes in all kinds of crazy directions and we're left to wonder. And yet when we let the transformation happen, when we let the voice of God ring out, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And when we come to the transfiguration, God, the voice of God adds, listen to him. <laughs> when we finally allow that voice to sink in and we listen to him, he leads us to death to our old life, resurrection into a new one. 
that is beyond what we could possibly imagine or hope for, is beyond what we can conceive, but is everything we've been praying for, hoping for. It is my prayer that as we begin this year, as we start down this road, as we begin at Jesus' baptism, and His adoption, if you will, either into the kingdom of God or His adoption of the ministry God has given Him. His faithfulness to God. Uh, that we embrace this life. That we embrace what Jesus has in store for us. And as Jesus tied into the old, all those old expectations, and took them in a whole other direction, In the same way, Jesus is not going to let us flounder, but is going to take us where we need to be. We just have the faith and the courage to let it go and let God. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we we hear about this baptism and we hear Your voice cry out, this is my Son, the Beloved in whom You are well pleased. May we also be beloved sons and daughters, allowing You to transform us, allowing You to guide us, allowing You to lead us uh, into places we never imagined we'd be able to go and to becoming people we never imagined we had the capacity to be. We thank You for all that You are and all that You do. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.